0: I am in lesson number 5 of the theme, In the Last Days. And verse number 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4 reads as follows. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I have an assignment from the Lord that I hope the Holy Spirit will help me to deliver and the devil will be nowhere near to interrupt. It's my third opportunity this morning to bring you this word, but I need his touch and I want you to be touched. Because all it will be is just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals, get nowhere if God's not in it. How many know God's already in this word? Would you stretch your hand in my direction? Pray for me. I will receive that gladly. Would you offer a prayer for me? And I will offer a prayer for us. Thank you, Jesus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have been loose. I am set free. And I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost over all of us. On this Memorial Day weekend, oh God, may it be memorable, not just because of our military and those who serve, but because on this day and in this hour, God visits us, amen church Visit us in our bodies And our minds, and through your word And let there be less of me And more of you And may this word produce A harvest That eternity will reveal And even presently will rejoice over Bless my brothers and sisters And those who are going to be Brothers and sisters in Christ Because of the word, in Christ's name Amen Thank you for being seated Please keep your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Some of the most interesting television shows and that hold the attention of viewers are the shows that center themselves around disappearances or evacuations. Shows like Without a Trace, unless I'm mistaken, I think it's a television series, CBS, that is quite popular because they investigate people who have reportedly been at one place at a given time and vanished without a trace. Some of the uh, most alarming news that we hear on the radio and television have to do with the Levi call. Anybody acquainted with that term, Levi call? A child or a youngster was seen here at the bus stop and disappeared. Well, it appears that they disappeared. Seen at school, seen in the playground, walking between neighbors, disappeared. And it troubles us here and vanished. Not so long ago, fresh in our memory, It's perhaps the largest U.S. evacuation, forced evacuation, of a city in our country that took place at the approach of Hurricane Katrina to the shores of New Orleans. You remember, many of you, how scores and scores, maybe over a million of people or more, had to evacuate New Orleans because of the horrific potential which proved to be a reality of the damaging devastation of Katrina. Some of you are, have been displaced because of that. Replaced, replanted. But I don't suppose that, that at any other time in history had one large evacuation occur in such massive force by bus and trains and cars and, and people's personal vehicles and on foot to avoid the impending tragedy that, of course, was what we now know as Hurricane Katrina. The Apostle Paul tells us in this passage today that there is coming a mega-massive evacuation like unto which this world has never seen. He tells us that it's going to happen in a Such a rapid way, it's going to take place in milliseconds. He calls it, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trumpet of God. And he says here that people will be evacuated from the earth to heaven when the Lord Jesus returns to gather his church that he calls his bride, to himself. Writers Bruce Beckel and Stan Jentz. In their book Bible Prophecy 101. Provide a glimpse into how things will unfold. On that day of the return of Jesus. At that great disappearance. This is what it's going to be like. Jumbo jets will plummet to the earth. As they no longer have a pilot at their control. Driverless buses and trains and subways and cars will cause unimaginable disaster. Doctors and nurses will seem to abandon their patients in the middle of surgical operations. And patients themselves will vanish off operating tables. Children will disappear from their beds. People run through the streets looking for missing family members who were there just a moment ago. And panic will grip every household and every city and every country. Dr. David Jeremiah tells in his book how when he was a youth pastor of some years ago, he wanted to demonstrate to his students the impact of the sudden disappearance, the great disappearance of Over 1 billion people from planet Earth. And so he wrote what would be an imaginary newspaper covering of the recent rapture. And he attempted to show them what would happen by writing a newspaper article that one would read hours after the rapture. And here's how it would go. At 12.05 last night, a telephone operator reported three frantic calls regarding missing relatives. Within 15 minutes, all communications were jammed with similar inquiries. A spot check around the nation found the same situation in every city. Sobbing husbands sought information about the mysterious disappearance of wives. One husband reported, I turned on the light to ask my wife if she remembered to set the clock, but she was gone. Her bedclothes were there. Her watch was on the floor. She had vanished. An alarmed woman calling from Brooklyn carefully reported, My husband just returned from the late shift. I kissed him. He just disappeared in my arms. There is coming a great disappearance. Otherwise known to us from Scripture as the rapture. It is what Paul teaches in this passage of our text. But before I get into Paul's passage and give you some words from the Lord this morning, I want to offer some clarification. Because there's been some confusion in the past regarding the events of the second coming. Or better put, the two phases of the return of Christ. I have a little chart here a diagram on the screen that I hope will assist us in understanding this because the return of Jesus back to the earth will occur in two phases he will come in the rapture and seven years later he will come in the second coming of Christ after the tribulation look at this diagram if you will and you look at the left side and it says first coming of Christ and under it you see the sign of a cross The first coming of Christ took place when He came as a baby born in Bethlehem. And when He lived on the earth for 33 and a half years, and for the last three and a half years, He ministered publicly. The first coming of Christ included the fact that He was crucified for our sins, buried for three days, and rose on the third day. The first coming of Christ concluded after the resurrection Forty days later, outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Mount Olive, he ascended, went up into the clouds and into heaven. And after that ascension, Jesus, prior to going, told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. John 14 and 1. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there'll be also. You'll be also. I am not going to tell you exactly the day or the hour. But I want to send you signs and indications and prophetic words. That you will know that time is near. Just be ready. From the cross until now. You see the word church? We have been living in the church age. This is the age of the church. The church began, as we know it, on the day of Pentecost. It's been 2,009 years, according to our calendar. According to Scripture, the church age that we're living in right now will end at the rapture. Now, the first phase of Jesus' coming back will be the rapture, and there, there's no need for any signs to be fulfilled For the rapture to take place. It's already been fulfilled. Jesus has come. He's been crucified. He's buried. He's risen. The rapture could take place at any time. The second phase of His coming is called the second coming. It's called the revelation. It takes place seven years after the rapture. And there are signs that will take place that announce that that time is coming. Those signs we read about in Matthew 24. Earthquakes. Storms. Violence, sin abounding, disease, pestilence, famine, men becoming lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. All manner of other signs, the the sun, the moon, the stars. And you read about them. I preached about them. What happens is, as I want you to, to gain an understanding of what's taking place, is to know that as you look at this, the rapture could take place today. You see that there's an arrow coming down, but not all the way down, going up. When the rapture takes place, Jesus is coming in the clouds to call away the saints. Those who died in Christ and those who are alive. So he's not coming back on the earth to touch the earth at the rapture. But seven years later, he is coming back from heaven with all he took seven years ago, you and I. And He is going then to come down on the earth and establish His kingdom. That's the second coming. And the second coming, seven years from the rapture, Jesus is going to come with the armies of heaven. You and I. He's going to come with a white robe and a horse and he is going to come and fight the, the, the antichrist and all the forces of Satan that have tried to obliterate the gospel of Jesus Christ at a battle known as the Battle of Armageddon. That's the second coming when all of us will come and he will defeat the devil after the seven years of tribulation and begin the thousand years of peace where Satan will be bound and cast in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, And there will be perfect peace on the earth where Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. After the thousand years of peace, the millennium is a thousand years of peace. Then there will be the white throne judgment. At the white throne judgment, all those who have lived and rejected the gospel and have died. And have gone to their grave having had a chance to know the truth and hear the gospel and get saved but not taken it. They will be resurrected at the white throne judgment. As well as all those living then who have not accepted Christ. And they will be brought to the throne of God and be cast into eternal damnation for rejecting God. And those who serve the Lord will go into eternity. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So I said all that to, to give a little clarification here. Let, let, me, let me give you a little more clarification. Again, the second coming of Christ comes with two phases. The rapture and the second advent. Okay? The rapture, therefore, means that every believer will be translated to heaven. First, those who died waiting for Christ. And then those of us who are alive. Translated. At the second coming, seven years later, there'll be no translation. At the rapture, the saints go to heaven. To be with the Lord for seven years at the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the second coming of Christ, seven years later, the translated saints return to the earth. At the rapture, could take place today, the earth is not going to be judged. At the second coming, seven years later, after the tribulation, all of the earth will be judged and righteousness will be established for a thousand years. At the rapture, and the thought of the rapture means imminent, right now, any moment. The second coming, the seven years later, will follow definite predicted signs, including the tribulation of seven years. The rapture is not mentioned in the Old Testament. The second coming is. The rapture involves only the believers in Christ. They're going up. But the second advent involves everybody in the world, all humanity. The rapture takes place before the day of wrath. The day of wrath meaning the day that begins the seven years of tribulation. Where the antichrist will be on the scene. And where the trumpet judgments of revelation. And the bold judgments. And, and the vile judgments. And all horrendous judgments of God upon the earth for man forsaking God. The, the rapture begins that judgment. But the second coming or the advent of Christ concludes that wrath of God. When you think about the rapture, no reference is made to Satan. But when you think about his returning seven years later, Satan will be bound. Somebody say amen. Amen. With the rapture, Christ comes for his own. With the second coming, Christ comes back with his own. I plan to be in that number. At the rapture, he comes in the air on a cloud and stops there. Seven years later, he's coming back to earth, landing on the same mountain from which he left, declaring himself as the mighty warrior and the prince of peace, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise him, somebody. At the rapture, if it took place today, he comes to claim his bride. We, the church, is called his bride. But at the seven years later, the second coming, he comes with his bride. At the rapture, only those who belong to Jesus will see Him. But at the second coming, every eye shall behold Him. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. Hallelujah to Jesus. So, having said that, Paul writes to the congregation at a city called Thessalonica to clarify to them some confusion about the coming of the Lord. They were confused in light of the fact that the believers at Thessalonica were under the impression that Jesus would come back to the earth while they were alive. And they were especially troubled that they have loved ones who died. A mother, a father, an aunt, or uncle, or grandparent who died while serving the Lord, hoping that He would come while they're alive, what's going to happen to them? And Paul says, I want to dispel what appears to be ignorance in light of the coming of the Lord. The Bible's open to chapter 4, verse 13. Say, Amen. Look at what he says in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Somebody says the largest denomination in the world is the church of the ignorant brethren. I don't know if that's so, but there's a lot of people who haven't taken the time to study what the Bible says about the coming of the Lord. There are too many people in churches in America who want a touchy, feel-good kind of gospel. Make me feel good. Talk about me, soothe me and stroke me. And I'm all about success and making you feel good. But I'm not about ignoring what the Bible says about the day of the coming of the Lord so that everybody is ready and nobody's left behind. And so Paul says, I want to dispel the ignorance that exists in the church. There are even pastors in America that will not preach this gospel of the coming of the Lord because they are living right in the here and now and they are telling people what they want to hear and they haven't taken the time to prepare people to meet the Lord because they tell people if it's a hell it's now if it's a heaven it's now that's not what the Bible teaches the Bible says the earth and everything in it will one day melt away with fervent heat and God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth that will be eternally governed by his people. So Paul dispels ignorance of the end time events. And then in this passage, he describes the believer's death. And in verse number 13, Paul uses a comforting phrase to describe the members of the Thessalonian church who have died. Look at Midway in the verse. Concerning those who have fallen asleep. That is a New Testament metaphor for Christian death. It's the same metaphor that Jesus used when He talked about the death of Lazarus. You remember in John chapter 11, someone came to Jesus and said, Your friend Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha, His sisters, inquired about Jesus coming, but Jesus waited four days before He returned. And by that time, Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said to His disciples concerning going to visit Lazarus, In John 11 and 11, our friend Lazarus sleeps... But I go that I may wake him up. The disciples thought, well, why are you going and interrupting your sleep? He needs a sleep. But no, Jesus wasn't talking about sleeping naturally like some people do at the 11 o'clock service of South Metro Ministries. He was talking about sleeping in death. It's the same term referred to in the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. When Stephen, the first Christian martyr we read about in the New Testament, was persecuted and drug outside the city by people who hated him for the gospel's sake, and they took rocks and stones and boulders and pelted Stephen, until in his dying breath, he said to God, forgive them, God, for their sins. And then the Bible said he breathed his last and fell asleep. It's a metaphor That has to do with a Christian's death. They don't die in the sense of terminally gone, over, finished, never see them again, and it's terrible. No. For a child of God who dies, they fall asleep in this earthly body to open their spirit and their souls in the arms of God, which will soon have a heavenly body. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let, Let me give you a little more teaching here. The Greek word for the burying place of the dead that was used back then in the time of New Testament is the word koimeteron. Koimeteron, from which we get our English word cemetery. It was also used to describe a place where one would rest for the night, then continue his journey the next day. Take, for example, people are traveling this weekend. And some will travel as far as maybe from Atlanta to Dallas. I mean by way of their automobile. And if they're not like some of we conquer the road men who don't want to stop till we get to Dallas. No bathroom breaks, no food breaks. rush God, it's 16 hours and this car ain't stopping. <laughs> but for wise women who, we, who are wives and caring children... And because they want everybody to get there in a sound mind, they will call ahead and call the Hilton Hotel or the Hampton Inn or Spring Inn Suite and say, you know, uh, we will arrive somewhere in in maybe Louisiana or one of those places in, in about eight or nine hours of our trip and we want to reserve a room. And so halfway there, you reserve a room at the Hilton or or someplace of your preference. And you go in about 7 o'clock and the kids enjoy the pool and they get good and tired and everybody sleeps. And you get up the next morning because you've stopped at this place of resting for a while. You get up and you have one of the breakfasts and you load up the car and you head to the rest of your destination to Dallas. Because you've paused to rest and you get there refreshed or better off than you were had you tried to conquer the road in one stretch. What what I'm saying to you is the Lord says for those who die as Christians, they just check into the hotel. Their body checks into the hotel called the grave. And their spirit soars up to be with the Lord. Can I get an amen here? You know what the Bible says? Let me tell you about you and I. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims and strangers and travelers. We are not meant to live on this earth. And so if Jesus tarries is coming before before He returns, some of us are going to go to the cemetery. Go to the hotel. Go to the restaurant. Resting place. Others, I have preached people's funeral. They are in their body, is in the resting place, but their soul is with the Lord. And listen to what happens. Oh, when the Lord comes, God is going with the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. God's going to call up that body out of the ground. It's going to change from corruptible to incorruptible, from mortal to immortal, and that body is going to go up being changed. That soul is going to come down and meet it in the air and so shall those of us who are alive be caught up with them and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Somebody give him thanks with your hands. I might also show you that Paul defends the believer's hope about the second coming of the Lord and by that I mean look at verse number 13. He says, I don't want you to see a believer's death and grieve over it. As if you're sorrowing over others who have no hope. Why why should we not sorrow as people who have no hope? Because the next verse says, verse 14, For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Can I get an amen here? I use this passage of Scripture more than any other passage of Scripture At the graveside of deceased saints as a pastor who's called to do a funeral. I can guarantee you that my Bible that I used to do funeral services with might automatically fall open to this reference. Because when we come to the graveside of someone as recent as Brother Horton, Ernest's dad, who went to be with the Lord and his father pastored for 50 years or more. And that was the most recent funeral I did about two weeks ago and had the chance to be honored by the family to be asked to do that. I, I read this scripture right there because I want Ernest to know and Gary to know and Sister Horton to know and the whole family that even though we are at the graveside, there's a canopy over our head and uh, the, the the casket is now on the particular device after the prayer. It will, it will lower the casket six feet in the ground into the vault and then the vault, the casket will be put in, the vault will cover over, be covered and the dirt will be put on the casket and then the flowers will be put and everybody will walk away. I want them to know... This The scripture says, we do not grieve over Brother Horton. We do not grieve over over some of your loved ones that we've put in the grave in the past. Michelle, we don't grieve over your son when we put him in that beautiful mausoleum in Atlanta. As if you have no hope. Because the Bible says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Somebody praise the Lord. That's the hope we have. Because, let me say this to you. For, in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. If you don't take Alan Matura's word, then that's okay. Be sure to take the word of the Lord, because his word will never fail. Paul's saying, I didn't make this up. We didn't sit around as disciples and come up with a Bible and to write something to make you feel glad no we are repeating the word of the Lord for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep the Thessalonians Christians thinking about what about my grandma what about my grandpa what about my mother and dad they were waiting for Jesus to come and he didn't come what's going to happen and Paul says just because we they have gone on ahead of us doesn't mean that we are alive going to keep them from going up Paul says, oh, there's a certain order to this. How many of you know that God is a God of decency and order? Say amen. Amen. And that God is not the author of confusion. There's a chronological order to this. And and it begins with, with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You still with me? For the Lord Himself will descend. He is not going to send an archangel to rapture us. Although archangels are good, he is not going to send any other angels, seraphims or cherubims. God's not even going to send the Holy Ghost to come get us. The Lord himself. In Acts 2, pardon me, in Acts 1 it is. When Jesus ascended and the disciples looked on and he was moving out of the Mount of Olives and Gravity lost its hold on him and he's ascending into the heavens. Two angels appeared to those who were witnessing that and said, Why are you men standing here gazing up into the skies like you ain't got any hope for this same Jesus, the one that they crucified and thought he was dead, one coming back, the one that burst the bonds of death and hell and the grave and got the keys from the devil, the one that resurrected and been appearing for the last 40 days, this same Jesus, the one you see going up in the cloud in bodily form, will return again in like manner as you see him go away. Somebody say praise the Lord. And I'm just trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, that the Apostle said, not only is he coming in the clouds, but there's going to be a sound associated with it. Verse 16 says, he will come from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. So you don't have to worry about dying with being hearing impaired. (laughs) And you don't have to worry if you're alive and you're hearing impaired. Because that trumpet and that sound and that archangel. Now he's not talking about three different sounds here. Some people have given uh, some some identity to three different sounds. He's only talking about one sound that can be interpreted in three different ways. He's going to come at the sound of the trumpet. And if you're suffering from hearing impurity or visual imperity and you're wondering will I see or hear him, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Because the sure way of knowing that you are raptured is when your feet leave the ground and you wave goodbye to this world, you will know that you are on your way. He is coming again. The Bible says not only will there be a return, there will be a resurrection. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because here's what it says. Verse 16, the deceased saints' bodies will be resurrected from the graves. Only those who died as a Christian are going to be resurrected. No other human beings. The rest of the people who died as non-Christians for years gone by and eons of history past who rejected Christ, they will be resurrected at the great white throne judgment. But at the rapture, only the saints. It's kind of like when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb, you understand? And You've ever heard this, but let me just remind you. You remember, he showed up in that graveyard and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because he got power over death. Had he stayed in that graveyard and just said, come forth, every dead person would have come out of that ground. That day is coming. A resurrection. There will also be a rapture. Verse 17. Please look in your Bibles. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. The phrase, the two words caught up. We get the English word rapture. From the Latin word rapio. The Latin Vulgate Bible speaks of the Rapture, with the word rappel, it means to be snatched up, to be caught away. Any Star Trek fans here? I, I used to be a Star Trek fan. I haven't kept up lately, but I, I always like that part. Kirk to Enterprise. <laughs> Beat me up, Scotty. I always like that. Man, that was awesome. Out of the ship onto some kind of, and then off, just escaping some kind of potential danger on some kind of weird planet. Kurt Turner Prize. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we find that a little humorous, and, and it is, but it's a kind of a picture of caught Somebody said, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, in the English Bible, so I don't believe in the rapture. <laughs> Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible, but I got one in my hand. It's it's a term we use over a period of time to describe an experience, event, and phenomenon. Yeah. And whether you believe it or not, it won't delay it. You just need to be ready. There will be... Now, the Greek word for rapture... Because this Bible, a Bible, our New Testament, I should say, comes from the original Greek. And the Greek word for snatching away is the word hapazo. Or somebody say, well, Pastor, give me some kind of precedence. This thing about people disappearing. I don't know if I believe that. But well, let me tell you something. God gave us some precedence in several people. You, you remember Enoch? The Bible talks about Enoch in Hebrews and the Old Testament. The Bible said Enoch lived so closely to God and loved God and honored God with his life until he would just walked, Enoch walked with God and was not. He might have been walking from his house to his neighbor's house one day, just ready to meet the Lord. And his neighbor saw him a moment ago and then, oh, where's Enoch? He just walked into the presence of God. Boy, I love that thought. Somebody said the best way to die is to fall asleep peacefully and go to be with the Lord. Well, I figure the best way to die is to just walk on to God. How many of you remember the prophet Elijah? You remember the Bible says that when it came time for Elijah to go to be with God, that God sent down a chariot from heaven, a fiery chariot, and Elijah got on board that fiery chariot and let down his mantle, and Elisha caught it, and Elijah was gone. That's a rapture to me. How many of you remember reading by the Apostle Paul where he says in his book in 1 Corinthians, That he had such visions and dreams with God until God caused him to be caught up into the third heaven. And he saw things and dreams and visions of which human words are not adequate to describe. Although his rapture was momentary and he came back down to tell us about it, it's still in the scripture. And I'm just trying to tell you, whether you believe it or not, if you intend to go, you need to be ready. Now, the Bible says there will be a reunion. Oh, help me somebody. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you something. You know, here's a danger. Here's a danger of, the, of hearing this preach all the time. I, I grew up in the church. I'm a product of the church. I've heard it all my life preach. Some of you have heard it all your life. And the danger about hearing the coming of the Lord, second coming, the rapture and, and all the other stuff, of hearing some of that is we might get too familiar with it and we will lose the excitement and the edge of being ready. Amen? Yeah, build your house and live in your house. Love your family. Raise your kids. Educate your kids. Pay your bills. Serve God. Bless each other. Be kind and humane. Because I don't know when the Lord is coming, but I want to tell you, just don't get so accustomed to this world. Don't get so earthly bound that you're not good for heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen? And so sometimes we get accustomed to it. We don't, we don't think it's going to happen again. And we, we don't believe it's going to happen again. But I will tell you, this sermon today, this lesson today, this word today, is to tell you that God hasn't changed His mind. His Son is returning again. Amen. Page 10 of this hymnal. I grew up as a boy singing this in the Caribbean. Page 10 in this hymnal says... There is going to be a meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet you, meet you over there in that home. Beyond the sky, help me somebody, such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. It be glorious, I do declare. And God's own son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Sing it, there is going to be a meeting in the air. In the sweet, sweet by and by, I am going to meet you. Meet you over there in that home beyond the sky, such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear Twill be glorious, I do declare, and God's own son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Somebody praise him. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking it too. I am. Look for me on the 2010 version of American Idol. I know you're thinking that. The singing preacher. If that gal from England can be discovered, I can be discovered too. But I ain't about my discovery. I'm not even about singing. I am about the fact that when that trumpet sounds, I am going to leave this planet and be caught up in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I plan to be gone. Somebody praise the Lord. I am going to be among the missing. Yes. You can be seated for a second, a few more. I ain't finished yet, but I should be. Listen, listen to me. My God, help us somebody. There's going to be three kinds of reunion. Listen to this. The first reunion is when this, when the dead comes out of the ground, their body comes down, out of the ground, and being changed as it goes up, and their spirit comes out of heaven, meets it in the air. That's the first reunion. The second reunion is when the dead who have died before the rest of us come out of the ground. Somebody says they're going to go up first because they got six feet further to go. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's true. Second reunion is when, when, when I'm going up in the sky and I look beside me, there's my mama. I'm going to be reunited with my mama before I even get to heaven. If I, if we, can I get an amen? amen? I ain't got loved ones going ahead of you. Oh, you're going to see them again if they're born again. And here's the third reunion. is when all of us who are caught up in the air are united with Jesus. And Paul says, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. He, hear me now. I'm going to be a little personal here. My grandmother in Trinidad is ninety years old, and she is the matriarch of our family. That would be my mother's mother. My grandmother We left this we left Trinidad in nineteen sixty eight, my my family, meaning my dad, mom, and three sisters and myself. And God led us to come to be in America. We've been here over forty years. And and not as frequently as I'd like, but over the forty years I've had occasion to see my grandmother. And I was called this week from Trinidad and told that my grandmother is gravely ill. And she, she may not make it very long. My grandmother went through the passing of my mother who at age 63, 10 years ago, died of a massive heart attack. She went through the, the, the passing of another daughter who was murdered by men who robbed her and killed her. And as I think about the fact that the phone could ring just any day now and tell me that we call her Ma. And her first name is Jai, so we call her Ma Jai. Any day now I can hear that my grandmother is gone. And I tell you that while I have the greatest admiration and love for Magi, I am comforted. (laughs) I am comforted that this is not distance and mileage and countries will not separate me from my grandmother or my mother. Because there's going to be a getting up morning. And I plan to be there. Let me hasten. Let me hasten. So, Pastor, what should we be doing? What should I be doing on 2009, May 24th, at the twelve fifteen hour? What should I be doing? Why am I in South Metro ministry this day on Memorial Day weekend? Because God wants you to be looking for the Lord. Titus 2, verses 12 and 13. Look on the screen. Teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make you uncomfortable here for a moment, not because I delight in it. But what I have to say is going to make, a, make you uncomfortable, a few of you, or many of you, for the next few moments. But I'm going to risk you being uncomfortable for a few moments in this service. Than to have you be uncomfortable for eternity by missing God. You cannot be sleeping with somebody else's husband or wife and go to heaven. You cannot be a Christian and do that. You cannot be a Christian and sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That's called fornication. And God calls it sin. You cannot be a homosexual practicing or a lesbian practicing. I love you and God loves you and I, I want to reach you for Christ but... You will not. You will not go to heaven. Pastor, where you getting this? I'm getting it straight out of the word. Look here. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, meaning the world and everything in it, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? There's more. Listen. If you intend to see Jesus, therefore, beloved, Second Peter three fourteen. therefore, beloved, looking forward for the things, these things, Be diligent to be found in Him, by Him. Be found by Christ in peace without spot and blameless. Please hear me. Your mama loves you. Your daddy loves you. Your spouse loves you. Your friend loves you. Wonderful. But it's not their love that saves you. It's the love of Jesus by His death on Calvary. You cannot be racially prejudiced and hate somebody of another color or nationality and go to heaven. You cannot steal and lie and cheat and practice sin. I, I must ask you to turn to the last book of the Bible. Hurry to the almost last chapter, Revelations 21. Everybody turn in your Bibles. Take your scriptures and turn to Revelations 21. The devil is a lying devil. And he has duped some people in thinking you can get saved 20 years ago and live like you want to and still go to heaven. And you can't. There are churches and denominations in America that tells you that once you're saved, you're always saved. You can live like you want to and do like you want to. That is not true according to the Bible. Only the pure in heart will see God. Only those who have given up practicing sin can go to heaven. Now, do you sin occasionally? Do you mess up? Do you do do wrongs? Yes, you do. And as soon as you realize it and you're convicted of it, you are to repent of it and ask God to forgive you and be restored. I don't believe you can just lose your salvation just like that. But here's what I do believe the Bible teaches. You can lose your salvation if according to the book of James, to him or her that knows to do good and does not do it, that's a sin. I don't care what, what church you came from or what preacher you heard. The final judge is God and the Bible. And I don't want you to get mad at me, but I want you to be ready. And if getting mad at me makes you study your Bible and you get ready, I say hallelujah. Revelations 21. Everybody look at the 27th verse. Speaking of heaven. Verse 27 speaks about heaven. But there shall no means, Revelations 21 and 27, but there shall be no means enter it, meaning enter heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I am trying to close. Listen, listen to me. God's keeping the books. Did you hear me? There is a book in heaven called the book of life. And in that book are the names of every person who has ever gotten saved. And in that book, I trust is your name. And when the trumpet of God sounds, and it can happen today, the rapture of Jesus comes in the clouds. Only those whose names, verse 27, are written in the book of life, will go to be with the Lord. Somebody say, well pastor, if I don't go to be with the Lord in the rapture, then i just get saved during the tribulation. You're fooling yourself. You know why you're fooling yourself? Because the Holy Spirit will have been removed from the world. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts people to repentance. And the Holy Spirit lives in believers, that's His temple. And when all the believers are gone from the world, the Holy Spirit that convicts is going to be gone. And somebody say, Pastor, uh, then I'll get saved. No, not because the, you, you might be able to, but it won't be easy. There'll be those who get saved, but they'll have to do it by death. By refusing to take the mark of the beast. And I'll preach about that, the Antichrist. You will either declare that you're on God's side or the devil's side. And you won't, he won't be the devil, he'll be the Antichrist, but later he'll be revealed as a devil. Here's my point. Here's another reason why you won't get saved, likely get saved during the tribulation. Because God said he'll send a great delusion among the people. A delusion such that they won't receive the gospel because they refused to receive it before. The Bible even talks in Revelation about when the judgments of the first three and a half years called the tribulation takes place. And the judgments of the last three and a half years called the great tribulation, the seven years together. The Bible says... That even though the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments and the vile judgments will be there, there'll be disease, there'll be war, there'll be famine, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be pestilences, there'll be all manner of chaos and horror and death. And the Bible says even in the midst of all that, people will curse God because there'll be a strong delusion. I'm begging you this morning. If it sounds like I'm begging you, then do with it what you will. But if you'll make heaven, it's worth it. And now, little children, abide in Him, meaning abide in Jesus, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. I'm trying to close. Hey, I was setting last night prior to going to sleep. I had the news on to Channel 5, Fox News. And probably not the best thing to go to bed looking at news because sometimes the bad news lingers in your mind and that's not always good. But I saw where a 28-year-old school teacher male school teacher was killed school has just closed in Cobb County I think it's Cobb de Cab he was a coach and all he was headed to either Mississippi or Louisiana one of those states to unite with his fiance that would be married on July the 4th they were going to close on their house that they selected this Tuesday and this 28 year old man somebody else in the car with him A 74-year-old man came down the wrong side of the highway and collided head-on with that car of the 28-year-old. And the 74-year-old and 28-year-old died. Listen to me. I'm not trying to use cheap psychology to get you to do anything. I'm just trying to tell you that we live in a real world. And what makes you think that you're going to live to be 100 without any of life's tragedies? What makes you think you've got tomorrow if you're without Christ? What makes you think you've got another day, another hour? I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just trying to tell you that they die at age, at birth, 80, and every point in between, even 100. But you don't have to be left behind, by your heads. Pray, pray saints, everyone who is rapture ready, offer a whisper of prayer. I don't want you to get so involved in getting ready to leave from the service that you miss out the reason for the service. Jesus. Jesus, I ask you right now to speak to hearts and lives who are not ready, so that they will be. I'm going to ask you this morning. say, Pastor, I've never given my life to Jesus. And if he was to come today in the rapture, I'd be left behind, eternally separated from God and from my family and loved ones who are saved. I'll never see them again. And pastor, I don't want to take that chance. I want to live with peace now until he comes. And I want to be ready. If I live to be 100, or well, he comes today. I want to be saved. And pastor, I used to be saved. I used to do what is right. I used to go to church more frequently. Used to read my Bible. Used to pray. Used to quit hanging out with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong stuff. But now I've gone back into that life. Pastor, And I am not spotless before God And if Jesus comes today I'll be left behind And there's nothing in this world worth staying here for I want to be ready I want to be saved I want to give my life to Christ again Nobody looking around If that's you, raise your hands I want to be saved I want to give my life to Christ First time Oh, I want to rededicate my life Hold it up just a moment Hold it up Don't let the devil steal this from me Hold it up in faith now you may put them down. Thank you. Every head bowed and every hand closed. Listen to me. In order to make it to heaven, you've got to be willing to announce to the devil that you're finished with him and that you are now committed to Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to do one more thing to seal your decision. Actually, two things. Number one, if you raise your hands, if you raise your hands while oh, nobody's looking, stand where you are are seated stand right there do it now in jesus name thank you thank you thank you there are others thank you thank you come on come on do it right now don't talk. don't you let the devil take this and and, and mis, misjudge it and make you think oh i'll be embarrassed no you'll be really embarrassed if you miss heaven and you had this chance stand, stand. come on everybody headed by his closed there's, there's about four or five of you i want i don't i want to give you 30 more seconds because because god's given you this moment right now come on are you going to do it 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Come on. There's a twelfth person that the Holy Spirit is speaking to. Are you going to do it? There it is. There's a twelfth. Are there about three more that you say, Pastor, on this Memorial Day weekend, I want it to be memorable because I came back to Jesus. Stand quickly. I think we're about to run out of 30 seconds, but I'll give you five more. Now, everybody else stand. Everybody would stand with these who are standing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And because I want these who are standing, who stood first, to be encouraged by praying, I want you to, everybody who already saved and who are standing, repeat this prayer after me. Here we go, everybody. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Knowing what is right, I have done wrong. I have grieved you and disappointed you. And I am sorry. Come into my heart. Wash away all of my sins. Write my name in the book of life. Lord Jesus, I confess that you are the only begotten Son of God. I confess that you are my Savior. And beginning today, I make you Lord of my life. Give me a love for you. A love for the word of God. A love for the church and for others. That as long as I live, I will be a testimony of the saving grace of Christ. I believe I'm saved. I confess it with my mouth and believe it in my heart. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Now the rest of us ought to do what the angels are doing. Come on. Put your hands together heartily. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Help me praise Him. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Five people got saved in the first service. Eight people got saved in the second service. And 12 got saved. What's that? 25 people on their way to heaven and not hell. Come on. 25 people who were going to bust hell wide open is now going to be ushered on the streets of glory. (laughs) I feel a whoop glory.